The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Very merry draft miss to all of you. Your Kansas City Chiefs have finalized their 2021 draft class. And they did it in impressive fashion. We'll get to all that. Four additional Kansas City Chiefs have been added at some key positions. Some big swings on some talents. Uh, a lot to uncover in a very optimistic group here. Maybe a little bit different than yesterday. Uh, and here to talk are my dear pals. First, find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Maddie Lane, how are you feeling now, buddy? Hey, look, if we could just exchange some of these picks around on where they went, this Chiefs draft came out absolutely excellent because I've loved the day three draft that the Chiefs had. Like Almost everything they did today has been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, there's a couple picks here and there that I had some other guys I probably would have preferred, but they didn't go out and take anybody that I just didn't understand whatsoever guys that I thought had low ceilings or anything like that. This is great. This is about as good of a day three draft as it can get. I don't think I'm alone in saying that Barley hop at on Twitter, Craig stout, the Renaissance man, the voice of the chiefs. I do believe also enjoyed this day three of the draft. I did. Uh, I wish they would have added a slot cornerback at some point in that, but that literally the only possible complaint that I could have about this, the chiefs drafted a couple of high ceiling players. They took some gambles on some guys that if they hit are going to be great, which we love on day three. And then they took a couple of guys on offense that I think are going to contribute in 2021. So, I mean, this is overall a really, really excellent excellent day three of the draft i believe that i i think that i gave every single one of these picks an a on arrowhead pride i can't remember if i gave kane to a b plus but basically overall i i love this is a a for the day three of the draft absolutely love what brett beach did today well let's just go ahead real quick and run down all the picks that your kansas city chiefs made today on day three pick 144 was joshua kando the edge out of florida state he actually wound up in a couple of mock drafts for us uh, here. Um, he wound up in the high fit mock that we did, uh, where we just took all high fits from the KC draft guide. And then he also wound up in, funnily enough, the worst case scenario mock draft. There's more reason for it. It wasn't necessarily the player. If you read the write-up, you'll, you'll read the whole thing and understand why. 
but um, a guy that we, I mean, I, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, she's traded up to pick 162 for Noah Gray, the tight end out of Duke. At pick 181, they took wide receiver Cornell Powell out of Clemson. And with pick 226, a name that has been thrown around in the first round in the last 24 months. Trey Smith, the interior offensive lineman out of Tennessee. A lot to unpack with all four of these players. Um, and I, I think the Chiefs did a good job getting some, getting some good football players here today, though. And let's start with Joshua Pando and talk a little bit about him. Um, I was the primary grader on Joshua Pando, and I watched a little bit of 2020 tape. I think Maddie's been digging into a little bit of 2019 tape here. Um, what you see from Josh Kando and, and the information that's been able to be gathered during the pre-draft process, freak athlete, a, a freak athlete, one of the best testing defensive ends in this entire class, meets the length, density requirements of a Steve Spagnuolo defensive end. Um, I don't think he processes the game particularly well. Um, I thought, you know, I think there's a lot to develop mentally there. Um, I don't know if he had a, a complete idea of what he was doing. But Maddie, physical traits are very obvious for him. And you watched a little bit of 2019 tape today. Give us your thoughts on a Joshua Kando. Yeah, so at this point in time, I've made my way all the way through the Florida State-Boise State game from 2019. That was probably one of the full games that I think we had of Kando because he did actually suffer a knee injury early in that season. He only played three and a half games last year. So I made it all the way through it. I do think just basing purely on how he's moving, there was definitely a little bit of recovery still going on in 2020 from what he was able to do in 2019. Because I'm watching him right now. Just the raw movement ability he has is a top 100 pick. And that's why I do think coming into this season, there was some hype for Joshua Kando to be a top 50 type pick in this upcoming draft. It's all based on the traits. It's all based on what he could be, but you just watch him move on the football field, whether it's dropping in coverage, rushing with speed, rushing with power. He looks like a guy that goes in the, on the second day of the draft. And some of the stuff he did versus Boise State, I mean, it's really good. It's good tape, especially when he's working against Ezra Cleveland, who was an offensive lineman taken by the Minnesota Vikings, they believe, in the second round last year. Like, he went up against an NFL player and looked pretty good. I do agree with Kent, though. There's a long way to go in his development. I think he knows a lot of what to do. I do actually think he knows what he's doing. He just doesn't know how to do it. He doesn't know how to set it up. He doesn't know what foot he's supposed, what step he's supposed to be on when he throws out the long arm. He doesn't know what hit direction his hips point before he tries to drop his shoulder and dip underneath an offensive tackle. He just knows that he has to do those things. So that's up to Brendan Daly, Steve Spagnuolo to get him there. But there's a lot to work with. You, you know who else that's up to? We've been at training camp. We, we've seen who's also teaching in those moments. It's Frank Clark. Frank Clark knows what to do, when to do, and all of that. And he's really good at training those guys. The, Joshua Kando was the number one defensive end recruit coming out of high school in 2017. Alabama wanted him. Baylor wanted him. Clemson wanted him. He went to Florida State. That coaching staff has stunk for him let's be real here they did not maximize him they did not teach him what to do the chiefs are 100 gambling on the player that came out of high school this highly recruited highly valued defensive end with this 
great athletic profile. I mean, he checks all the boxes for Steve Spagnolo. Like he hits the, you know, the the height, the length, the 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 weight, the strength, all of that stuff that we typically see in these slower, more lumbering defensive ends that we've all kind of gotten used to out of Steve Spagnolo. Except he's got explosion. He's got burst. He's got some fluidity. There's there's reason to think that Kendo, if you can unlock him, could be a really high-end pass rusher. Now, here's the thing. That sounds like, you know, Homer Chiefs fan right there. So here, here's the other side of the pendulum swing. You basically have to undo a bunch of the stuff that he learned at Florida State. You've got to, you know, basically tear him down, build up a whole new foundation. This is going to be a multi-year project. You're probably not going to get Kane Doe to come in immediately this year and say, hey, you're rushing opposite of Frank Clark. This is a depth move here. So you hope that he's recovered from that injury. You hope that he can learn under Brendan Daly. You hope that he can learn with Steve Spagnuolo and the rest of those dudes in that room. He's got a lot of veteran guys in there now. He is a high upside pick. If he works out, I love, love the swing on these types of guys in day three of the draft. Swing's the right word. Uh, and it just kind of depends on, um, you know, for, for me, when I watched him, I didn't have a high confidence level. Like if I was looking just flatly across 32 different organizations and saying, is a team going to develop this guy? And my bet and my guesstimation on that, on Josh Kando was, I was not as optimistic that he was going to be able to reach the immense ceiling that he undoubtedly possesses. Situation and fit matters for all these guys. And I think... Joshua Kando got put into a great situation. He would uh, he he was in the high fit mock draft that we did, as we said, um, as a swing on a rare athletic profile, um, a pedigree that uh, warrants some consideration. And the Chiefs are more confident that they're going to be the team that's able to get the most out of this player. They have a high level of confidence that they're going to be able to develop him, which is why he went in the fourth round. And if they think he can, and they do, that's big time, Craig. Yeah, I, I just want to address because a lot of people are going to hear that and think, oh, he's town of passing you. It's like, no. It, oh, he's not. He Don't get me started. Tano was fake athletic. <laughs> his athletic profile was extremely overrated tano is an elite athlete for a 290 pounder you just yes. he played not an elite athlete for a defensive end i just think I, that's where things get lost between tano's athleticism and other guys you compare him to defensive ends because that's where he played he was a very average to slightly below average athlete you compare him to 290 pounders not named aaron donald then he was elite oh even yeah. adjusted even adjusted for some of his weight with his relative athletic score, it was a good athletic score. It wasn't elite. Yeah. Meanwhile, Kendo is elite. So, I mean, there's, you need to look at it from the standpoint of he's going to move well, he's going to move way differently. And he's also like Dono Passino played, you know, at a lower level and hadn't played a ton of football. Like coming out of high school, there weren't a whole lot of people that were like, oh boy, I recognize that Tano Passino's got an athletic profile, got the ability to play defensive end at this level. Joshua Kendo, number one defensive end recruit. So, I mean, take those Tano Passino comps that you got in your head right now and throw them out the window because it's just not a good one. Joshua Kendo was the number five prospect in his recruiting class for rivals. 
2017. And just one final, I mean, we can all have, if anybody else has clothing thoughts on Kendo, you can go after this. But just my final bit was, I haven't watched as much of this past season to the 2020 tape of Kendo as, as Kent had. I do know that he was dealing with an ankle injury, I do believe, throughout the majority of it. That's part of why he didn't end up down at Mobile for the Senior Bowl, despite being invited. I would suggest anybody that is going back to just watch some film with him, just to watch him to see what he is, watch 2019. I don't exactly know how well he was moving in 2020, but I can tell you in 2019, before the knee injury, he was moving at a different level than a lot of other guys that got drafted before him or even after him in this draft. All right, pick 162. The Chiefs traded up for a tight end, Noah Gray, out of Duke. And he had a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Noah. Glad you didn't get picked on day two because now you're a Kansas City Chief. Uh, Jake won our contest this year with this player. We all take 10 players each that we think the Chiefs could potentially take. And Jake got this one right. He had Noah Gray as the last pick in the draft draft. Uh, and Noah Gray, maybe not your traditional inline tight end, a guy that you can line up as an H, a guy with some, uh, I think he's got a little fluidity through his frame, frankly, for a guy his size. I think it's really impressive. Um, and I think he's got promise as a pass catcher, as a route runner. Maddie Lane, thoughts on Noah Gray? I actually, I think I was the highest person on Noah Gray out of our group. I had him just barely below Hunter Long, who I think almost everybody saw as the clear-cut fourth best tight end, and I had them almost with a neck-and-neck grade. So I was a big Noah Gray fan. And the reason is, similar to how I just talked about with Kendo, you watch Noah Gray, if you get him in space, his movement ability is just different. He looks like a wide receiver when he's out there moving. I'm not in any way, shape, or form going to compare him as a player to Travis Kelsey. Again, not comparing him to Travis Kelsey, but you watch the way Travis Kelsey uses his feet and his hips to beat defensive backs in the NFL. Noah Gray was doing that to college level defensive backs. So there's a gap there. I'm just saying that he doesn't move like a tight end. He's not stiff. He's not running in straight lines up the seam. He's not making one small rounded break to get open like a Pat Fryermuth. No, he is running very good routes. He runs very crisp, very clean routes. He is an athletic mismatch in the open field because of his footwork because of his fluidity you know as a blocker there's a little bit to be worked on there i'll let craig dive really deep into the blocking stuff for him because there is some work to be done but just as a mismatch weapon you get him in space you get him matched up with defensive backs or linebackers i do think he can take advantage of some of those guys yeah he's a little a little light uh he, he comes in at 240 and his build is just kind of a little more wiry than your traditional tight end that you're going to look at the blocking effort level is 100 there this this man is going to try his ass off to block but he just doesn't have the you know the strength the base the mass to really move people off the spot too much so that's kind of why we're talking about him as maybe more of an h-back maybe a, you know a chief's area scout said that uh that he might actually be a, a fullback he might get some fullback reps so i actually that might not have been an area scout that might have been ryan Nutt. i anyway somebody from the chief said that he might get some fullback reps that makes sense you want him blocking on the move you want him putting that athleticism and that explosion into the blocker rather than trying to line up in line with an offensive tackle and try and kick out a defensive end or something like that it's just not going to go as well but yeah i'm with maddie as a route runner 
the nuance at the top of the route is outrageously good. The, the shoulder fakes, the head fakes, things like that. We got to see him in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. And granted, that wasn't the best group of coverage players that he could go up against. But he really was able to create massive separation. And he was able to get away from a lot of these guys early in the route and then shake them later in the route as they were trying to chase down some of the routes from behind. So I'm very excited about Noah Gray. Noah Gray could why ISO if you needed Gray him to. Absolutely why ISO. They did it. They did it with him. Yeah. And so you look at that guy, and I mean, he's a, I'm not going to say he's Travis Kelsey insurance because there is no Travis Kelsey, but Travis Kelsey, he can isolate on the backside of a formation the same way that Travis Kelsey does. He's got very obvious pass catcher traits. I will not be surprised in the slightest. If this guy winds up, we start hearing a lot of training camp buzz about Noah Gray. And I will not be surprised if Andy has some plans for this guy. Uh, and I, I, I wouldn't be stunned to see him week one of this season as a sleeper guy coming in, being utilized in some ways that you know Andy maybe uses him as a, as a Kyle Juice check. I think we've actually talked about this on, that on this very show as a potential Kyle juice check type, uh, a real dynamic H back fullback type player. So um, I think there's a lot to be excited. And with Patrick LeVon Mahomes with Andy Reed, I think this is a great addition and a guy that you can get a lot out of on day three. And that's what you want. You want wins like this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Chiefs add the second wide receiver in the Brett Veach era. Cornell Powell out of Clemson goes 181 to the Chiefs, the second wide receiver since McCole Hardman. And I think Chiefs fans are going to love this kid. I really do. Um, he's a guy that was at Clemson, uh, stuck it out at Clemson as a fifth-year senior, finally got opportunities to play for the Tigers. He was behind all obvious talents over there at Clemson and instead of transferring out and going and trying to find his, his route elsewhere, he stuck and his final year had a good year. Um, this is a guy that is a four core special teams type player, um, a high effort, high energy level player. He's going to do little things to help your team win football games. So he's going to play on special teams. He's going to be a willing blocker in the run game. You know, he's going to do some of the little things that you like. I don't want to compare him to Josh Palmer, um, but I think that he's a Josh Palmer light, which by the way, how about Josh Palmer going in the top 80, my guy. Uh, but um, no, I think Cornell, I think Cornell Powell, I think they share similarities, Craig. I think there's some things about a Josh Palmer and a Cornell Powell that I think you like similarly between these two. Yeah, I, I do think that's the case. I think uh, Josh Palmer may be a little bit better tracking the ball in the air, getting vertical, whereas Cornell Powell is maybe a little better route runner underneath. And the Chiefs 
want a guy like that. They want a guy that can win off the line of scrimmage, which Cornell Powell can because he is an explosive player. And they want a guy that's, you know, kind of a nuanced route runner. If you watch him play against Sean Wade in Ohio State this year, Sean Wade, who went earlier this this week in the draft, he is consistently out leveraging Sean Wade, getting in his blind spot, breaking off, you know, forcing Sean Wade to try and, you know, predict the route for him. Sean Wade is a smart cornerback as well. I'm not saying he's not, but he got absolutely routed up by Cornell Powell. It did take Powell a few years to get to the point where he could be that guy, though. Like the, the switch definitely flipped this year, particularly in the back half of the year. But a guy that, like Kent said, does all the little things well. He doesn't have a trump card necessarily. He's not going to be, you know, this guy's going to win this way every single time. But he's going to do everything pretty well, pretty consistently. I think he's got a shot to make the field because the Chiefs don't have great X-wide receiver depth. And as Maddie is going to talk about here, I mean, he fits kind of the same mold that Andy Reid has played at the X wide receiver outside of maybe Sammy Watkins over the past, you know, several years with the Chiefs. Yeah, I think everybody gets really excited to get these monstrous X wide receivers. And I love those kind of guys, too. It was something that Andy Reid actually did use a little bit more in Philadelphia. He's started to trend a little bit farther and farther away from that. Jeremy Macklin became his de facto X wide receiver in Philly. He brought him over to the Chiefs to play as the ex-wide receiver. You know, after he was done in Philadelphia, they then transitioned to Sammy Watkins. Then, you know, right now they have this combination of Byron Pringle to Marcus Robinson. They have these guys that are undersized, quote-unquote, for traditional X or possession-wide receivers that are a little bit quicker, guys that run a little bit better routes that just still happen to have a little bit of vertical game but they can win in different ways. And that seems to be the direction that Andy Reid's trending for his X receiver. That seems to be where he's trying to go to get these possession guys. And it makes sense with the way this offense is operating. So enter Cornell Powell, who's checking in at six foot, 204, 210 pounds, somewhere in that range. Built like, I mean, a brick blank house because this dude is jacked. He has not a single ounce of like fat on his entire body. So he looks really good coming off the bus. He's a guy that's going to go out there and do all the dirty work. He's going to play tough. He's going to play physical. And my favorite part about his game, beyond just the toughness, his releases off the line of scrimmage, you can tell he's a guy that spent a lot of time on the bench in the wide receiver room fighting through the super talent that is the Clemson wide receiver room. Like, don't I do want to go back to that real quick. Yeah, he didn't show up in the stat sheet much until this last half of the year at Clemson as a senior, but you also have to look at all the receivers that have come out of Clemson. There's right. a lot of names there, but he looks like a guy that was stuck at the bottom of a depth chart. They just had to work really hard over and over again on something to make himself better. And one of the areas is his footwork off the line of scrimmage. It's great. He turns all sorts of cornerbacks inside out this year off the line of scrimmage. That's something the chiefs really don't have. Yeah. I, and it, it's not disparaging him to talk about, you know, what he had to overcome to get on the field for, uh, you know, for, for Clemson. It's just, that's, I think it speaks to his story. I think he's got a great story. I think he's got the kind of football character you want. And I think the fact that he, you know, fought through, stuck there, um, I think that bodes well for his outlook in the future because he's not used to having to, you know, fight and fight for every opportunity he gets. And I think that's somebody you want in your wide receiver room. That's somebody you want on your football team. I would bet on this guy making it. I really would. And uh, another guy that this football team, the Kansas City Chiefs, took, 
to close out their draft at 226 is someone who's been mocked in the first round in the last two years, a very highly regarded talent, the former number one overall recruit in the 2017 college uh, recruit class, Trey Smith, the offensive lineman out of Tennessee. And I think it's kind of interesting because like, I don't think any of us were the biggest fans of Trey Smith's um, relative Trey Smith relative to the idea of him being the pick at 58. The, the idea of him being, you know, an earlier pick, but it's undeniable that the talent this kid has, it's undeniable the high level plays that this man has put on tape. Uh, and if it weren't for, I think ultimately some medical issues are what is pushing him down with um, some concerns about blood clots uh, in his lungs uh, some of that kind of stuff. If it wasn't for some medical concerns, I think Trey Smith's probably off the board a lot earlier. I think this is a worthy swing, Matt. Yeah, and I don't want to speak too much into the medical stuff because we don't know. I mean, it's clear the NFL doesn't even know what to do with the medical stuff, seeming he's falling to the end of day three. And I would be very clear, that's the only reason Trey Smith fell to the end of day three is the medical issues. So with just focusing on the field, Trey Smith is going to give you some of the most eye-popping, impressive, just super fun reps that any interior offensive lineman can give you. He was 330 plus pounds, low off the line of scrimmage, destroy a defensive tackle in his way while going up to meet a linebacker and run him into the ground. And in the next five plays, he will just make some of the most strange first new to the position mistakes that a guy that started for four years should not make. And I think that's the most frustrating part with Trey Smith is you'll see times where he just simply won't turn his head to even find an assignment. You will see him not look for work. You will see him not place his hands in the proper spot despite having ample time. And then mixed in, you will see some of the most dominant reps you can see. This kind of goes back similar to the Kendo argument. What kind of coaching was he getting at Tennessee? I think he's gone through three coaching staffs while he's been at Tennessee. I think you can make an easy argument to say that he probably has not been getting the best coaching. There's clear as day talent to be had, and it's going to be up to Andy Heck and the Chiefs to get him there, which makes him, I mean, worth the risk anytime on day three, but let alone this late in round six. Yeah, you want to talk about a, an elite athlete at offensive line. I know that's not something that you typically associate, but he is, and he plays like a mauler. We gave him the Kelechi Osimile comp in the KC draft guide, and it was one of the easier comps that we had to make in the in the guide. He's just a big mauler. He's a finisher. He's got some explosion. He can climb to the second level, and he's a very physical big dude. It, the only reason he's here is the blood clots in his lungs. The Chiefs typically a risk averse team with medicals felt like this was a good enough gamble. If Trey Smith is healthy, there is, uh, I think there's a chance that he is the starting right guard in 2022. So you, you have a situation here where you're, you paid a lot of money to Joe Tooney. You, you are probably going to pay a lot of money to Orlando Brown jr. And you might be able to, field on the rest of the offensive line with guys on rookie contracts in Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, and Lucas Niang. That's incredible value. And on top of that, the Chiefs have now plenty of depth at a position that they went through a ton of attrition to. So I, I absolutely love this Trey Smith pick, regardless of how I felt about him in like round two. Great here. 
You want to hear something insane, guys? In 2018, the Chiefs selected Khalil McKenzie to play guard <laughs> in the sixth round at pick 198. This year, the Chiefs take a better guard at 226 out of Tennessee. Oh, uh, not even close. Like, not even, not even close. Like, yeah. like, Trey Smith legitimately has a chance. Can we take it another level? Let's do it. In 2014, pick 193, the Chiefs drafted Zach Fulton, guard out of Tennessee. They oh, just yeah. lo- they love their guards out of Tennessee. One's worked out, one hasn't. I would bet on this one working out. The comp in the KC draft guide for Trey Smith was Kalechi Osemele, uh, a guy that we all just saw play here in Kansas City. Um, Trey Smith was the only medium fit in the KC draft guide of all of the draft picks that we had this year. So five high uh, fits and uh, one medium fit with Trey Smith being the medium fit. Maddie, what'd you have? I have another fun tidbit about the uh, KC draft guide and you guys don't get to see this, you know, on the KC draft guide, this is behind the scenes stuff, but every single draft pick that we got that the Chiefs selected, if we were to split their grades up and show you guys what our grades would be on them behind the scenes, you know, individual grades, I would have the highest grade on every single player that the Chiefs drafted. Wow. I didn't put in a final grade on Kane Doe, but I can tell you from watching Boise State, it would have been higher than what he was because that was probably his best game. Cornell Powell, I have a grade in there that didn't make the sheet because it happened afterwards, but it was higher than what we have. I have the highest grade and I have a Trey Smith grade that's sitting on my side right now. I had to go make sure he's the only one I didn't know. I have the highest grade on every single guy that G's took. Just yeah, I, so, so Maddie, Maddie hates this entire draft class. Absolutely hates it. Highest grade on every single player. I bet I'm the lowest if I had to guess. Well, uh-huh. it's because Craig hates prospects and yeah. always grades negatively. I want to do this real quick before we get out of here, fellas. I want a grade for the 2021 Kansas City Chiefs draft class. Maddie, I'm letting you start. I am going to... So here's how I'm doing it. I am mentally... This is what I'm doing. I'm replacing Nick Bolton with, with uh, Kando at 58. And I'm wow. replacing Creed Humphrey at 63 with Trey Smith. I'm just flip-flopping those in my mind, and you're getting a B plus. We are just moving those picks around. We're putting the two-down linebacker on day three. We're putting the super high-ceiling edge into round two. We're taking the high-upside guard with some medical concerns, putting him in round two, taking the average center guy, putting him in round six. You're getting a solid <laughs> out of me from this. You wow. don't even like you don't even like Creed that you like Creed better than round six, didn't you? With your grade, you know, yeah, that's what makes it that. That makes it a lot better pick. Oh my lord, this wow. is ridiculous, Craig. I'm, what do you have? I'm giving it an A minus, and it's uh, the large part of it is from day three. Like day three for me really does get a strong A, I almost an A plus. I I just think that they they nailed a lot of those picks. They helped fill a bunch of needs and they filled it with a bunch of guys that I think are worth the squeeze. So I, I, I gave the Nick Bolton and Creed Humphrey picks both B pluses. So I think that this boosts all that up. I think it's going to be an A minus for me. I really like this draft and I really like it because of day three. So we'll hope that these guys that traditionally don't contribute are the ones that they actually get to, you know, take that step and contribute 
coming out of day three. They've given themselves some phenomenal chances of getting some day three contributors. I think some absolutely phenomenal chances at day three contributors. I look, I go up and down the board. I think Noah Gray here in Kansas City is a phenomenal fit. Kando has the ceiling and ability to be a quality player. Trey Smith, talent's not the question. Uh, and Cornell Powell, I think it's a special teamer for the next four years at least. I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a B. I'm gonna give it a B plus, I guess, because I do love. I love. I love day three. I genuinely love day three, and I think they've done a phenomenal job. I still. I, I think the full picture makes me feel better about how this team addressed day two. Um, a little bit. I still don't love the value. I don't love the value at linebacker. That's why you do the swap. I'm not doing that. That's soft. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll readjust my grade then. It is then a C plus if I cannot swap. There you go. Fine. Okay. I'll do a C plus. That's such a you are Maddie answering it left and right. Um, I'm gonna give it a B B plus. I I think there's some really good football. They got six good football players in my mind. They really did. They yes. really did. They got six good football players. The value of where they took some of them, the fit uh, in the immediate is not great for a couple of these spots. It's excellent for a couple. I, I feel good about the fact that they got six good football players, though. And Brett Veach does what he does in the undrafted free agent market. It's going to be a lot of fun. And before people get mad at me, because I know people have been a little upset, the fact that I don't love Nick Bolton and Creed Humphrey. So I want to be very clear. My grade for this is an actual B. Value doesn't matter the moment the pick happens. Value goes out the window the moment the player is no longer a prospect and they belong to a team. It doesn't matter where they drafted these guys. Just looking at the arsenal of players, the positions they played, maybe some guys that they passed on, I come away with a very solid B, maybe even getting real close to a B plus for the draft whole class as a whole. So I do not dislike this draft class in any way, guys. I just don't love the order it went in and that no longer matters. I just want to make that very clear. Before we jump out of here, I'm going to go around real quick here. In 2022, how many of these draft picks are considered starters for the Kansas City Chiefs? I'll go with, I'll go with two. But optimism, I think, I think Noah Gray plays. I think Kando plays. Powell plays. And Trey Smith has a chance to be that third starter. So I think you're getting I think you're getting five contributors guaranteed. All right. I feel comfortable saying there's five contributors and two starters. I mean, with the safety of the I mean, this is not a negative, but with the safe route you went with the first two picks, I would feel like you have to be an automatic two. If those if Creed Humphrey and Nick Bolton aren't starting with their, you know, lack of ceiling, then that's a complete miss. So like those two have to be guarantees, or that pick makes no sense. At Trey Smith, I feel really good about as long as he's healthy earning that starting right guard spot going forward. So I feel good there. That puts me at three. And I'm going to say three and a half because, you know, I, I'm a Maddie answer this. I don't know if Cornell Powell is going to count as a starter, but he'll play a lot. The only thing with Trey Smith is I love the swing on the idea of Trey Smith, but there's just so many questions because he wound up in pick with the six round pick. I'm not comfortable and confident just going out flat out saying right now he's a starter in 2022. I think he has the ability to be a starter in 2022. And that's not the question. There's just a lot of questions that we here and anyone outside of Arrowhead, one Arrowhead drive don't have answers to. And that's where my hesitance to just definitively lock Trey Smith into the starting role at 2022. Cause I think talent wise, that's probably true, but too many question marks still a worthy swing this late in the draft. I'm going to say three. 
And I'm going to go ahead and say, Trace, that man is motivated. He tweeted out before he was drafted, I will remember this. Like, I mean, <laughs> that man watched himself fall due to medicals and is putting that giant chip on his shoulder. I believe he's going to work. I, I think the Chiefs are very risk averse with with medical dudes. So the fact that they they felt comfortable enough, I get that it's a sixth round pick and, you know, that that's not that big of a gamble, but they felt comfortable enough to take that guy. So I'm going to say three and the complete overhaul of the Chiefs offensive line that occurred in the last three months is just absolutely outrageous. Absolutely. Outrageous. Boy, did they have a long term offensive line queued up, though? Like if if they go on to sign Orlando Brown, like you well, have yourself the entire offensive line has been completely reworked. No, the entire thing. Lucas yeah. Dianc counts no, too. No, but like, for four years. For four oh, yeah. years. They're locked yeah, in. The whole offensive line is reworked. And the ceiling for this group is immense. It's a high ceiling group up front. Maddie, quit rolling your eyes about Creed. All <laughs> right. That is going to do it for the draft final draft show recap. We have one more podcast here on Arrowhead Pride for the three of us. We will be back tomorrow, or on Monday, I'm sorry with the final AP Laboratory. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll catch you later.